Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by We Are One Composites and there's a discount code coming right up. If you're in the market for a set of carbon wheels, then I can personally recommend We Are One Composites. I've been using their wheels for over three years now and I have had zero issues. The quality and the attention to detail is incredible and they ride just as good as they look. We Are One recently launched their first bike too. The arrival is a 150mm 29er Enduro weapon and you can tell that We Are One have put their usual level of attention to detail into making sure this thing is perfect. There's some lovely design touches and the quality of the finish is next level, just like it is with the wheels. Head over to weareonecomposites.com now and give it all a look. Because of the crazy demand for bike stuff in general, and particularly for We Are One's wheels, we can't offer a discount on complete wheel sets right now. But the team at We Are One really wanted to do something for downtime listeners, so they are offering you 15% off rims only during the month of August. All you need to do is to use the code WESUPPLY2021 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com. Head there now and check out the entire range. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Downtime EP is getting really close to launch. If you don't already know about it, then it's a brand new print project that I'm working on with Misspent Summers, the team behind Hurley Burley, the World Stage Book and Meltdown. If you want to get involved, find out more and get the chance to get your hands on issue one ahead of everyone else with a nice early bird deal too, then head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP now and leave us your name and your email address and we'll be in touch really soon. If you want to support the show, you can get your hands on our full range of merch over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. As always, it's top quality, it's organic, it's made in a factory that uses renewable energy and it's delivered to you with no single-use plastics. Head over there now and check it all out. All the proceeds help support and improve the show. Please make sure you're following the podcast or whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that. It's free and it means you'll never miss an episode. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where I've got links for you to all the major platforms to help. Also, if you've got a sec, please give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's going to be the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and to join in the conversation. All right, folks, this week I'm joined by Zach Johansson fresh off his first EWS podium in Latwil. We chat about Zach's background in sport, including his time racing downhill. We find out why Zach moved to Enduro and look at the strategy that he used to become a pro rider. We chat all about his approach to racing and what it took to get that first EWS podium. Zach provides some great insight into what it's like racing Enduro at the very top level in 2021. So without further ado, here's Zach Johansson. Zach Johansson, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. And uh, everything is good here in Sweden. It's been a pretty busy last few weeks, so it's nice to finally get home and settle down and get back to a little bit of a routine. Good stuff. Well, let's uh, yeah, let's find out a little bit about you, and we'll we'll wind the clock right back. Um, you were quite sporty from a from a young age, is that right? Not necessarily with bikes, but with with lots of other sports. Um, yeah, I would say so. I guess my family is kind of sporty and we've always been doing activities together. And my mom was like the local trainer for the cross country skiing and the biathlon and all that stuff. So uh-huh. I just ended up trying everything <laughs> and, um, yeah, sports always was my thing, I guess. 
Yeah. Is biathlon, is that with the, with the shooting? Exactly. With the, <laughs> when you do the cross country and then you have to shoot the small targets, like lying down and standing up. So Yeah. So you're basically shooting when your heart rate's absolutely through the roof. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it's good practice to, for focus and to get a, uh, control of your breathing. Yeah. That's maybe, maybe good for enduro as well, right? You're yeah. learning to ride. Well, with enduro, you're riding very technical trails while you're absolutely kind of exhausted, I guess. So exactly. And I get if you would look, I, I reckon there's a lot of people that hold their breath more than you would think. Okay. Like during, cause we, you come into pretty gnarly rock garden and it, if you have like that, if, if your body used to like always breathing and not get too tense, uh-huh. I guess that's better, but I guess it's pretty easy to get a bit locked up and then you're like, <gasps> and you do your thing. And then after it's done, it's, you're kind of like, <gasps> so maybe, maybe there's something there. Yeah. The biathlon training was, uh, was a good start. Were you competing in all that stuff or was it more just like for fun as a kid? Uh, no, I always competed in everything I I did. So I uh-huh. did, yeah, this cross country biathlon. And then I also did uh, slope style on twin, twin tip skis, like in mm-hmm. the pace, like jumping, doing flips and all that thing. Yeah. And uh, football, um, ice hockey. <laughs> uh, yeah. So a lot of winter sports <laughs> when yeah, you come yeah. from Sweden. Yeah. Awesome. And so, were you, were you like, doing particularly well in any of those were there areas where you where you maybe wanted to push on and keep competing or i actually kept on playing football for for quite a while because we had a pretty good team and uh, so that one i kept doing for a little bit and then the same with the not the i always did biathlon and cross country but cross country skiing was more my thing yeah so i did that for quite a while and actually I think I I have like a few medals from the whatever like the like first place in your district kind of thing. Nice. So yeah. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and how did bikes come in? Was it always something you kind of had as like a almost a toy I guess initially at home but didn't you didn't kind of get into the competitive side of things or is it something you picked up a bit later? I yeah, I never did it like like any competing, but I always had a bike, mm-hmm. and I would like just most kids just ride my bike up and down the street and like find rocks and edges to jump on kind of thing. And then uh, when I was around third, twelve, thirteen, I guess I started on. Um, so I mean, so I'm from Norway, mm-hmm. but my dad is norwegian and my mom is swedish so i'm always been so my mom's side is on the swedish side okay and my dad's on norwegian but i'm born in oslo in norway uh-huh. so that's where i grew up but then halfway i moved over to sweden that's where i am now okay so when i was like 11 12 13 i went to already then you in norway they had like um uh, sports school mm-hmm. i guess so you can combine your study with sports already then and it was like all the regular sports like football and that's what i got in for football but then as i went there there was a few people that did mountain biking as well and i guess i kind of just switched into that group and started doing more of cross-country-ish biking 
Mm-hmm. And then one of the guys I remember had like brought me onto the mountain with a down bike once and I had my like shitty cross country bike and rolled down and I was like, this is really fun, but this bike isn't really, <laughs> <laughs> what are you supposed to use for this? So I remember I saved up and bought my first down bike and that's where it's all started. Like I started going to Hafjell bike park, the, like okay. the biggest bike park in Sweden, uh, in Norway. Yeah. And just rode my bike like i would bring that down bike to the skate park to the dirt jumps to yeah everywhere yeah and there's there was quite a or i guess there still is quite a sort of slope style scene in that part of the world is that something that you got involved in when you were younger yeah so i would do i i quickly got into like downhill racing Mm -hmm. but everyone would race and go to the dirt jumps so it was like you would do everything and I guess with the with our location and it's been snow half of the year, you got it like you couldn't ride any downhill in the winter, so everyone would meet up in the indoor skate park or indoor dirt spot. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it how it went. Yeah. So you got comfortable in the air pretty early on then. Well I guess you maybe you already had that from the freestyle skiing side of things. Yeah, like I always liked jumping and pushing myself and riding bigger jumps, bigger drops and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, at that point of time, it was actually quite a few decent riders in Norway, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, we got a pretty decent national team then that started to build up. Yeah. And a guy that actually wanted to take the responsible for downhill discipline from the federation side i guess so that's when it's like all started and we got to go out and do world cups together with the national team which is still now i feel like what the norwegian federation did back then was something pretty special when you look around like they would support us with the travel there and all that so it was like a mini mini world cup team without all the factory support but we still got support to travel and try to make it out to to compete at the bigger races which was uh i guess the key point for yeah to where i am now yeah that's really cool i didn't realize that 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 existed that's great that you had that that level of support was there much kind of going on in the domestic kind of downhill racing were you were you competing a lot at home as well before you got to world cups uh yeah we had a I mean, there's not too many riders here, but we had a good series going with five or six races per summer yeah. in a few, some spots were not as good, but then we, for sure has to, like I said, half year, which ended up having the world cup and world champs in the end. So like we had a few good tracks around back then as well. Yeah. And how are you getting on? Um, pretty decent. Like the like the the format i guess you could say was a bit different because we had the top 80 qualifying and all that which is different now Mm -hmm. and there wasn't really a a junior category as well it was everyone against everyone yeah yeah. so it was i mean with the qualifying it was easy because it was more people qualifying but at the same time you didn't have the the junior category so it was pretty hard competing against the yeah the best best in the world yeah yeah Yeah. what was it what was it like then because i think your first world cup was it schlabming 2009 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, a legendary track, a legendary <laughs> venue uh, where we've had some incredible racing over the years, but probably not the easiest place to start your World Cup career. What was it like when you turned up there? Oh, I will admit I was pretty, it was pretty mixed because when you're that young, you're just pretty stoked that you get to travel and to to race your bike. And for sure, like if you're a bit of a fan, you've seen all the movies and you kind of knew what the track was like. So, uh, yeah. And then first time showing off and see like all the big names as well is, it's quite a different thing than doing racing at home. And it actually took me quite a while to feel comfortable on, on tracks like that. And, Mm -hmm. and just getting used to be around the people you looked up to when you was younger, I guess, like feel that you kind of belong there and could compete. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that track was fun, but very terrifying. And I remember because we, since I was junior, we had the first training as well. So I remember waking up super early in the morning and the track was like still slick after the fog from the night. Yeah. And like, there was not rut, no ruts or anything that had, uh, got into the track yet. And I don't know if you, when you're like almost down, when you come out of the last forest, it's just like grass field in a slope. And it was like yeah. a few turns. And it's, I remember coming out of the woods and I looked and it was that steep that, it, you know, when you look and you can't really see the bottom of the hill, you just like <laughs> yeah. see, and I was like, go in and try to break, but the grass was so slip. And I, <laughs> I can't remember if I made it down or not, but it was quite a, quite a, quite a shock. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. Cool. And you, um, I mean, you, you, uh, you got to compete at World Cup for a, for a good while. And I guess one of the highlights, maybe certainly looking from the results sheet was, um, 2010 world champs in Mons and Anne when you yeah. were sixth in juniors. Talk yeah. us through that week a little bit. Cause again, it's a, it's a full on track. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, as like I said, that's something that would never have happened if we didn't have the support from the Fed. Like that was all organized by the Federation, like mm-hmm. accommodation and everything. So that was, that was pretty cool. And uh, like I said, as well, going to a track that is pretty legendary uh, and uh, get to race. It was quite a cool experience and I didn't really know what to expect either, but and because, like I said, I wasn't used to compete against the juniors either. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to have a race where you could actually compete against your the people in your same age category, I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I guess the expectations may be hard to know where you want to, where you were going to stack up. Right. So maybe it was a bit, a bit less of an expectation, a bit less pressure on you, maybe. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, it's the same there at world champs. You're like you, there's no, you do qualifying, but everyone get to do finals. Mm-hmm. So it's for sure a bit less pressure and you probably, and that also gives you a little bit more time on the track. Yeah. Which probably helped out for me. Yeah. 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 It's, it's always like that when you, when you've been in the game for a while, for sure, some of the tracks change, but a lot of them are the same. So if you've been there before, it's, like I didn't realize at the time, but you have a little bit of an, an edge of the people that haven't been there. Cause you, you know how the, the dirt and the terrain works and how the track is going to bed in and like which turns that you are important to carry speed for that section and yada, yada. So yeah, 
up to speed a lot quicker, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. And did did result like that kind of get you much attention? Were there any any teams or sponsors starting to to come your way? Really? Uh, no, not really. I I mean, I had okay support from distributors in Norway, mm-hmm. which uh, for sure helped up a lot. But uh, no, as long as I race downhill there was like i never had any really talks to team managers or or stuff like that during that period yeah yeah fair enough i mean you, you raced world cup for a good few years really and it, like i think it took a little while to become a rider that could regularly qualify and i guess part of that is the lack of a junior category but you did you did get to a point where you were you were regularly qualifying in the races what do you think you had to learn or improve to get to that point. Was it was it a case of kind of just getting to know the tracks on the circuit, or do you think there were other things that started to to click as you went to more and more World Cups? Mm, that's a good question. I guess it's experience most of all, and maybe matureness as well. Like you kind of. I mean, there's so many small pieces. Like there's, like I didn't. I just load ride my bike. Like I didn't. I and I always did as the best I could, but I didn't really have the plan how to how to get up there, kind of thing. Like uh-huh. I trained, but <clears throat> now when I when I done, I when I I guess I can say I at the top of the game in the enduro, I know how yeah. much work. Uh, that needs to get put in in the right yeah. places and when i look back i guess the the pe- top people in downhill put in the same amount of work and when i look back at what i did i didn't i didn't know like i wanted to put it in but i didn't know what to do okay yeah so i guess a- and then i find like from year to year i just find small pieces every year that kind of helped me go in the right direction yeah, 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 and you were definitely on on an improving kind of curve within the downhill side of the sport. What made you start looking at enduro? Because you know, downhill obviously been your passion for a long time. The results are improving; you're getting better and better. But then enduro became a a, a thing for you. Yeah. Um, so the f- it's pretty crazy how fast the enduro just popped. Like all of a sudden, it, from nothing, it was something. Yeah, uh, and I just remember uh, looking at it. I was like, "That actually looks like a lot of fun." And what I like, what it got me into mountain biking in the beginning, I was like, when I looked at that, for sure, I still load racing downhill, but the aspect that I get to do, got to do more riding and not yeah. the same track every t- time, was like because I like to explore and that together with the fact that I knew. Because it's longer days, it's longer race time. Like the physical aspect of it's going to be bigger, mm-hmm. and I always really loved and had a passion for for training. So, yeah. So at the end there in the down, I I can't remember what season it was, but the end of the season, I got talking to Chris Ball, and he gave me a a spot to race the EWS in finale. Oh yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah. 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 So uh, I went and did that, and I was like, I have nothing to lose. I go there and I try it out, and I see if I if I like it. Maybe after the season, I 
uh, I uh, reevaluate and see what I want want to do and yeah. like where where I want to put my effort and where I can actually because in the end of the day as well like I wanted to make biking a living mm-hmm. and yeah after I did that race I I just realized that was more my thing and uh, I don't know if that like what that had to do either but like because the race time was longer you got more into the riding I guess like you're always nervous in the beginning of the day but then after you drop in that first stage that's like you're just in your zone and you just keep on keep on going so it just worked better for me I guess yeah and uh, yeah and like I said I revalued after the season I was like I actually think I have a bigger chance of making it here and uh, I thought this was more fun than I thought the down was so I was like easy choice I just go try a season and worst case if it doesn't work out or I don't like it I just go back to racing down yeah and uh, from there I went and I did one I did if the year after I think I did two or three WSs. Yeah. But my strategy was that I was going to put my money into racing the, because it was like a German European series thing. Yeah. And I was looking, I was like, I can make more of those. I can make two of those races for the same amount of money traveling to AWS. Mm-hmm. And if I come 30, 40 plays in AWS, I don't think many teams will recognize me, but if I, do three of them to get more experience and see more what it's like. And then I put my effort into the European series and I think I can make a good result there. That's probably a stronger negotiating point or whatever. Yeah. So I went off with that plan and I ended up winning the European series and got a few few decent results in the EWS as well. But most of all, I got the experience and kind of that season to figure out what it was needed to perform at the EWS. Yeah. And uh, with circumstances, all of a sudden I had a, I had a contract with Ibis yeah, for the year did, after. How did that come about then? So obviously you've got, you've got a few EWS results, but like you say, it's the European Enduro Cup overall yeah. win, I guess, that, that sits really strong, which is a super smart strategy. I don't know how many people are kind of thinking about how they enter a sport in in quite such detail. But like, were you approaching brands? Did they come to you once they'd seen that result? How did the Ibis thing come together? I tried to tried to reach out, like just basically like whatever I could find. I just reached out and asked what their plan for the next season was, and like to figure out what what they were planning on. Uh, but then I also very soon realized that it's very like even. Even if I had that result, it's very hard to get in contact with people if you're not in the in the if you don't kind of know or talk to the managers before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or have someone else talking talk like you know, it always sounds better if someone else say check out this guy than you knocking on the door kind of thing. Definitely, yeah. So I think. Uh, and that result together with the, because Robin from Sweden had signed with Ibis okay, two Robin years Warner. before. Yeah, two yeah. years before that, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think he just 
said to the team manager, like, check out this Swedish young guy that did this result. And I guess he just sent me an email and asked what I was looking for and if I was interested in that. And then we got talking and all of a sudden I had uh, a contract for racing the full EWS in a year after, which was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. After after one sort of year of focusing on it, that's an incredible position to get yourself into. Did you yeah. Was that like a full support package with kind of a wage or was it just enough to get you to the races and get you a bike? Like what sort of setup was it? Uh, I guess it's one of the, what do you call like, uh, I mean, I was more than happy because I was making a little bit of money, which I hadn't done before from riding bikes, but he was, yeah. So he was getting me to all the races, uh, race bike, and then a a little salary too. Mm -hmm. So I could, because that's what I said when I talked, when we negotiated, I was like, I don't need much money because I had, I know I haven't proven myself that much yet, but I want to give this my best and to do that i need a little bit like this amount of money to just make it by so i can focus on training during the off season and not have to train and work Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so we settled on something both part of was happy with and there we there we go nice yeah and it it worked out pretty well right so 2017 i think was your first full season so you got to go to to all the rounds for the first time and you got your first top 10 that year i think with a ninth in uh in wicklow in ireland exactly that, that must have been uh been nice and given you a good boost in confidence yeah for sure yeah that was also something you i don't know but like when you for sure i dreamed about it and i said it i said that as a goal to like get into the top 10 at least like at one race but when you work that hard and you like you never done it before you don't know if it's possible and then all of a sudden it happened it's uh it's a crazy feeling yeah, definitely. Did and do do you get a kind of a confidence boost from that? I guess it helps you realize that the work you're putting in is taking you in the right direction. But yeah, yeah, for sure. It's even if you don't think about it as like I don't think about it as that, but under like in your mind, it, it's the best boost you can get for for you for you, yourself and your career because it. It, you, I guess you just start thinking that you is when you when you start off and you see all the the big guys you you kind of without knowing it you kind of put yourself you kind of put you uh, put them above yourself yeah, yeah but then when you all of a sudden go and beat a few of them you like when you come to the next race you don't look at it the same way anymore because you know that you have beaten them once and you can do it again yeah start to believe a bit more yeah so it's a bit of a switch i guess that just because you it's very easy to to believe that you can do something but it actually hasn't happened before it happened kind of thing yeah definitely i know what you mean for sure and that that's um kind of the next season 2018 you made the move to cube where you where you were there for i think for three seasons how did that how did that come about what what made you make the decision to to change teams at that point um actually it i don't know if that was like the i mean like you know i only that like ibis was my first real team and my first experience of doing the whole thing so my thought like i was very happy with with ibis and afterwards i probably didn't 
like I didn't know what I uh, what I liked and what I didn't like, like what I appreciated and what was important to me. Yeah. But uh, my thoughts right there and then was that I saw Cube there and then as a bigger team, like bigger company, mm-hmm. and I felt that like Robin without Robin as well, like I wouldn't be where I am today and he helped me out so much, but I felt like I want to try to like not get away because I need it, but I want to try my own wings and like not be like, just be there by myself, like lonely Sweden on a different team that doesn't really speak like because their main um, language was Germany as well. Yeah. And they were good speaking English to me, but it was like, yeah, I mean, back then I wasn't that good in English either. So I just wanted to get out there, try my wings, like get better at English because I had to and negotiate more stuff myself and mm-hmm. just, I don't know, be, I just saw it as a step for me to, oh, for my career as a bike rider, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it Almost. just pushed me, in, pushed me into a situation where I had to do new, new stuff. Yeah made yourself like uncomfortable it, in a way yeah because there's so much stuff in the background that you don't see and you like not many people talk about either so it's like it's very hard it's not like you learned at school like you it's just like life lessons and sometimes you people go through with what they say and sometimes they don't and it's like you get fooled and sometimes everything end up like you think they are and mm-hmm. yeah just all that yeah, so I changed to the cube because I wanted to get more experience for myself, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Did you almost feel like maybe the Ibis thing had been too easy? Does that does that make sense? Like, because maybe Robin had kind of helped you get on there. The, the language is familiar. It feels like you always want to be pushing yourself, and maybe that like the ibis yeah too, too, too straight i think forward. i think back then i i maybe saw it as not easy but i felt very comfortable because yeah. i had because the mechanic as well was swedish so it was so we were three swedish people and then robin's brother nicholas was the photographer for the team mm-hmm. so i mean it was really really good but it, like you said i just wanted to to try my own pro-life yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah a fair play that again i don't think there are many people that it's it's there's a saying here i don't know if it translates but they say never sit in a comfy in a comfortable chair for too long basically yeah because that's you don't learn much when you're too comfortable but it's no. very hard to step out of that comfortable chair because it's comfortable exactly um, so yeah so to move away from a team where you've been getting good results and on on the trajectory that you'd want yeah yeah fair, and, fair play. and like you said it's like a pretty for a bike racer it's a pretty big uh, decision as well to change to change bike because you change all your equipment basically mm-hmm. and you never know if it's going to work out or not yeah so like you said it, when you know what you have it's i knew what the old bike felt like and i liked it so <laughs> it's very hard to step away from that as well yeah yeah but it, se- it seemed to work right 2018 first season with cube and you open with a sixth place in Chile. Yeah. Uh, which again is, is incredible. Your best EWS result to date. And you ended that season with, I think a ninth in Spain and a 14th in finale, but the middle part of that season was kind of more in and around the twenties. 
Was yep. there was there an injury that season? I think yeah. did you have an issue in, in uh, a lag? Uh, yeah, I I need to think a little bit. I um, I yeah, because I know I didn't race in a lag, right? Yeah. I can't remember if I had a crash or if I just had like a uh, like stomach issue or okay. like food poisoning or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had I started off good and then went off a little bit and then went back good, mm. which I I I can't remember what it was, but it was probably a little bit of. In the beginning, I had super high motivation because I wanted to prove myself, and then. Uh, I think we had a bit of a break between the first two races. Yeah, yeah. And um, then maybe I like felt it's hard as well when you do good because you kind of get this empty feeling <laughs> that you because you like I said you you would think it and work into somewhere so long and then when you make it it's not like you expect anything to happen but it's like it never feels like you think it's gonna feel. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're only racing bikes, so it's not that big of a thing. In like, when you look at it from above, mm-hmm. but it, we put so much time and effort into this thing that when you achieve something, it, it feels good, and then all of a sudden, it just feels a little bit empty, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't quite deliver what you maybe th- hoped or thought it would. No, and it's a weird feeling because you do good, but it's not. Like if you do good, it's not like the next race is going to be any easier. Like you right. still need to put in the same amount of work and do like the same preparations to get the same result. Yeah. It's not like you can skip any of the steps or the way they get any easier. Yeah. Yeah. And what you perceive as good is changing, right? So now you've had a sixth place. Suddenly, if you're not getting a top 10, yeah. you're probably not that happy with it anymore. Exactly. Whereas previously a top 20 or a top 30 might've been a good result. So yeah, yeah, your expectations shift up and it just gets harder and harder to get that good feeling, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you turn it around that season then? Cause like you say, started well, maybe lost a little bit of motivation or found it hard in the mid season, but you did pull it back into top 10 results later in the year. Uh, yeah, exactly. I just, like I said, I don't really remember, but I just think I got a lot of bike town in the uh, bike time in the end of that season and uh, places like finale is such a sick place to ride a bike as well. So it's pretty hard to not go there and, <laughs> and not just feel excited yeah so uh, yeah i and i probably looked back and i like i said the beginning of the season was good so there was no reason i couldn't couldn't be there like the same results again kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. and then i guess 2019 i i wouldn't i'm not necessarily going to say it's a breakthrough season because you you might be on the cusp of one of those at the moment but like 2019 was a season where i guess what you're known for now which is that consistent quality and fast pace started to show so you know i think in the top 20 pretty much everywhere you took 10th in the overall that season yeah had anything changed for you to enable you to get to that point um i don't looking back i just think i like even though i've been been doing this for quite a while now it's still i like i think back then i still try to find out what was the right, like, like that season, my consistency was there, like you said, but I, 
I still struggle with finding the like the like how fast I could race and still okay. keep that consistency. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, if that makes sense, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, that balance it's between a, it's, it's speed a very, and risk. Exactly, and especially for us, because if you have one, if you don't finish one race, you lose quite a lot of points for the overall. Yeah. So if you want to have a good overall, you kind of you need to make it. You need to have a good, few good results, but then you kind of like your bad days. You need to make as good as you can, basically. Yeah, yeah. And whatever you do, like make it to the finish line, because if you don't finish a race, it's it's a very hard hard few points to crawl back from. Yeah. So do you think in that season you'd maybe like backed off a little bit on ultimate speed to to bring that consistency? Like, how did you how did you approach it? I just. I think I found it like for what I wanted to do, which was like overall top 10, which I just made like my plan must have worked because that's what I did. But yeah, I, that winter I went down to Finale and I was there for over a month. And I just think that it, like getting that much bike time for me, which I usually don't get because it's two meters of snow here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just set me off for a, like, I didn't lose that much during the winter mm -hmm. instead of losing, not that you lose, but like just bike town. I got more bike town and just continued on from last year kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, well, yeah. And at the end of that season, it was the trophy of nations and you, um, you raced for Sweden. Did you have to change your, your license or something in order to race for Sweden? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's where we come into the whole thing. Cause I, I, a few years before that, I already stayed here in Sweden, mm -hmm. uh, but I still had a, um, so I have a Norwegian and Swedish passport, but yeah. my license was from Norway and Norway didn't really have a team in the Trophy of Nations. And I felt like I was more Swedish than Norwegian now because I stayed there and that's, this is where I have my apartment and all that stuff. So I was like, I want to. And Sweden wanted me to race for them as well because, yeah, and uh, that was the plan. But all of a sudden, it showed up that something in the UCI system was was a bit wrong because it says that I had the Swedish license when I changed it, but it says that my nationality was Norwegian. <laughs> so like they couldn't really f figure it out, and then we had to sign a bunch of paper like paperwork just like two days before the race, and then uh, <laughs> they like super heard it off, and it went true so Sweet. and if that it wouldn't have went true i wouldn't have been able to do the race <laughs> wow it looked like a fun event it's very different riding in a team like that yeah yeah i'm actually i think a lot of riders are pretty bummed that uh it's not going off this year but yeah it's for sure the the right decision but it was a really fun fun event and it was cool to change it up because you're not riding with your team for a weekend you kind of you ride with people from you probably know them as well because they're from the same country, right? Yeah. But it was cool to like change bubble a little bit, I guess. Definitely. Yeah. And second place, you got to be pretty happy with that. Yeah. I feel like to that day, that was probably the biggest achievement I've done so far. And oh, it was, really? and it was super cool. Like it, it seemed a bit special because it was the first trophy, like first trophy world enduro, like world championship ever. Yeah. And Sweden has a very, very small country got into second which i thought was pretty special yeah 
yeah, and to and to like be there and my family was there as well so that was pretty cool and they were yeah we had a pretty good celebration afterwards with all the sweets and all that so yeah nice. pretty cool experience for sure yeah finale is a good place for that right yeah <laughs> sweet so 2020 was um let's face it a pretty weird season for everyone yeah how, how did you approach it what what did you want to achieve in 2020 and I, i'm guessing your your goals kind of changed as things changed throughout the year but it was an odd one right yeah it was actually a very hard season for most of us riders i guess because everything just you prepared for one thing but it, it got changed and then you prepared for the next thing and it got changed and that seems like that was the whole season like you never knew what was going on and then it was also very hard because in the beginning of the season i prepared as the best and hardest I could. Mm -hmm. But then at one point when nothing really goes ahead, you're like, and you're only training. It's like, you don't even know what you're training for anymore because there's no racing happening, which yeah. was a very, it just like a surreal experience. Cause you, the, the training is fun when you get to go off and, and do your like show, show it off kind of thing. Yeah, that you done the work but when there's no no racing it's like it's not the training isn't that fun anymore <laughs> it almost becomes pointless i guess in a way yeah yeah so but then we got two races in which was uh which was better than nothing for sure but uh yeah it didn't really feel It, I guess it couldn't really never feel like a real like a normal season with only two races, but they still had like an overall. But it was not going to count for the like it it was not going to count for the next year and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean we just tried to make the best we could with what they could offer us as racers. Yeah, and really late in the season, and I guess any kind of injuries that you picked up at those events were going to impact your off season and and impact your preparation for what everyone hoped would be a full 2021 yeah did, does that mean you like did you ride a little bit safer maybe as a result of that to just make sure you got through it okay um when you say it it sounds smart but i i didn't really think about it at the time because it was it was a rare race because you know in sarma we had the snow and it didn't i mean that's bike racing but it's also doesn't feel like it it's more circumstances that can put like you can the chance of sliding off the track or whatever is is bigger in that kind yeah. of conditions right and people were freezing and it was pretty cold and stuff like that but it, what the hard part was for me that i i kind of felt like i had to do good as well because my contract okay. was running up yeah so for sure when you have that situation it's always a, a bit more pressure on your shoulder yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you had a couple of was it twelfth places in Zermatt and Finale, maybe. Yeah, it was. I got twelve in both races. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. lying top ten in Finale, but before the last stage, but then uh, I uh, couldn't hold on to it. <laughs> oh man! So yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a move for you from Q back to Ibis in that 2020, 2021 off season. Yeah, look, look from the outside that that was quite a late move 
uh, in the grand scheme of things. What what went on there? You, you mentioned that your contract was up. Were you hoping to resign? Like where, what what went on? Uh, yeah. So I guess this is kind of like the backside that you don't see that much. When I mean, well, our job is pretty risky and sometimes you kind of just have to trust the words of the people you work with. Mm-hmm. And I thought that if we had an agreement that we were like, they were happy with me and I was happy with the team. So we were going to continue, but then all of a sudden cube as a brand, I guess, just got a, wanted to go in a different direction. Uh, and they, I guess, put a, wanted to put a bit more, money on the Donald side yeah and then use the enduro side for more of uh like not like take away a little bit of the racing from the enduro and use that enduro side more for like branding and shop like show off work together with the shops kind of thing okay rather than a results focus yeah yeah that's kind of that's what I understood it like, mm-hmm. and that the the plan was not to race the full EWS, right? And which, when I heard that, that was, well, like from one day to another, it, that really didn't speak to me at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and then they had some changes with the the owners, as like how they were gonna run the team. So very late in the season, all this came up, and I didn't really have anything other planned for. Which yeah, yeah. I'm probably was now in it, like afterwards, it was probably something for sure. Something I learned from then is that you always need to have some sort of backup or connections on the side to mm-hmm. to be in a safer situation. So, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, there's definitely a few riders that got caught out by that. Yeah, exactly. And especially with, I think it was even weirder because of the season we had yeah and with the with corona and everything i think a lot of the brands as well were pretty confused with what they wanted to like was racing going to happen the year after as mm-hmm. as normal or was it not and like i think just people started to reevaluate everything yeah budgets were getting cut as well for sure yeah so then uh, i all i could do was like so basically at that point i hadn't like i had no ride for the year after and yeah. i was how late was this like november december sort of time or yeah end of november so okay very late yeah yeah, yeah most people have signed deals and mid-season not, yeah not many spaces available at this point right no and and it seems like as well a lot of the teams uh which was cool to see it was felt like they were pretty um what do you call uh, loyal to the riders mm-hmm. like a lot of team didn't like even if contracts went up they didn't want to change they yeah. wanted to keep the riders they had just because it was a weird year yeah which uh overall i guess it's pretty good that people are like that as well sure but in my case it wasn't the best like i said so i was actually i was like 50 50 if i i like that was the fir- first time in a very long time when i was like starting to actually think that maybe next year i would like maybe that was my last year racing wow. and I will have to go off and do something else now. Yeah. And started to like, think like wonder what that could be and stuff like that, which was quite a, 
uh, not a wake up call, but it's when you know you want to do something and all of a sudden the chance to do it gets taken away. It's you realize how much you, yeah, basically you realize what you have and how much you appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so I started to reach out to everyone I, I knew, but the answers was pretty much the same, which was bad, but also good. Cause a lot of, a lot of the team said that they, uh, could see me as a see me as a good rider for the team, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, for sure they also said that I was. It's too bad because we're like two months too far ahead, like too yeah. far down the line, and all our mm-hmm. contracts and budgets are already signed up. But uh, if, um, but then a lot of them were pretty disappointing as well, and they said to me that like whatever happens just try to try to make this like make it through the next season and we will we can reconnect mid next season and see okay. if we can sort something out yeah so that was cool to hear because i didn't have anything else at that moment so it was cool that people thought i did a good job i guess and Definitely. they were supporting what i did uh but yeah, so so in the end there, I got talking to Ibis again. Uh, and at that point as well, I actually, after the three years at a different brand, I realized I found my, like for myself, what was uh, working or what I was looking for kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized that working with a smaller brand suited me better. And like having that direct conversation with the people in, that actually are in charge and not like just a team manager that has to go to another guy that has to go to another guy. And I thought it was really cool to be almost feel like you wasn't uh, like signed for the team. You were signed for the brand. Yeah. That's and cool. as well, like whenever I like now as well, whenever I do race, like I know that all the people at Ibis are looking the like are looking at the line live sheet. So it's like, cool to do that for like i want to perform for them because i know yeah. that they are following it and are interested and are wanting the team to do good and as well just having that like i said like having robin and nicholas and matt's like the sweets around me was something that i didn't knew was that important for me because i mean they are some of my closest friends so if i would go travel i would travel with them anyway yeah and in another team maybe you get put in a situation with people that you wouldn't really hang out if it Mm -hmm. wasn't for the team yeah yeah so just like the dynamic there uh just made was something that i was missing basically yeah does it feel like coming home a little bit yeah so then uh, yeah so it was not easy because they it was actually just lucky that they had the post. I they wanted to like Tom the 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 team owner or mm-hmm. that works at Ibis. He I think he probably helped out more than he actually sh- should have. Like he made the spot for me that wasn't really there. Okay, awesome. which I now really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, and that's that's how it went, and uh, from there I just 
the whole winter I realized how how lucky I was to actually get a spot and get the chance to continue and I just wanted to show them that they did the right decision yeah I was going to say did, did that kind of reflection that you were forced into of how you know how good racing EWS is and how lucky you were to be on a team and to have that almost taken away did that help with motivation in the off season to to train even harder and to get get super ready for this season yeah for sure and i think that's with a lot in life you don't realize what you have until you it's kind of on the line of losing it so uh, it was sure uh, it was probably i mean i usually say that if you're if you're a okay nice guy and you have uh, and you're happy and nice to people things have a have a weird way of sorting itself out and it surely did now and i learned i learned something important from it so i'm yeah. happy Happy. yeah definitely did it did it take a while to get up to speed on the bike because obviously you'd ridden the i guess the previous version to, to which yeah. there's been a number of changes but you've kept i guess one of the key things is you've kept fox and shimano yeah in that transfer which is a big chunk of of the bike and the setup work does that help you get up to speed quicker for sure i was actually super i mean at the point i like when i signed i was i thought that the whole equipment thing, all the equipment would suit me pretty good, but at the same time, I didn't really have any other choices, right? So mm-hmm. when I got the bike and got to ride it, I was actually super happy because, the, like you said, the, the suspension I know, like I pretty much know where I am with settings and all that. For sure, it's a bit, it's a different frame, so the, the shock has a, the frame has a different ratio and stuff. But it, yeah. you kind of know baseline straight away what to do because you've worked with the suspension before and yeah. all the Shimano stuff just works awesome it's not i mean it's not tricky it's just like you know you don't have to get used to different shape of the shifter and you know like how hard you can push it and when you can change gears and all that which can change from brand to brand so all these small things just make the the jump on a new bike easier i guess Mm -hmm. and uh, like you said i it was actually pretty funny like it was funny to come back as well because when i uh, was with I was last. The last thing I did was riding the first prototype of the Ripmo. Uh, okay. And I think I like right then in the team I was the first rider to ride it. Yeah. So it was pretty cool to come back on and like see the second generation now and like see how that ride r- rode. And uh, I mean it's a super good bike and I thought it was gonna be good as well because it was like is that but my last bikes was. The one I had was a little bit too short, and the other one I had was a little bit too long. Okay. And this was straight in, straight in the middle of that. Nice. So it uh, worked out good. And then yeah. there was other few components on the bike that, like the we're running like the bike choke uh, dropper, which mm-hmm. have a two hundred and twenty mil dropper. Oh wow! How tall so are you? I'm one eighty five. Okay. Or two two thirteen. Uh-huh. So, but it's a huge dropper. Yeah. But it's small, like whenever on my old dropper, I all like before a stage, I would always take the Allen key out and then just drop it one and a half centimeter. Okay. Yeah. So like just to get that and not have to do that, it's like small things that just feels nice, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And then we also changed from a different brand to Maxis tires, which mm-hmm. I kind of knew all the time, but I feel like that are pretty marketing leading with their the rubber and tread pattern and everything so that was a a switch for the better i guess 
Yeah, nice. So you're back home, you're on a bike that you're comfortable with, you've had all that motivation to train hard and show what you can do. Yeah. And then some delays to the start of the season, but compared to 2020... I need to flick in there as well, because we... There's actually another pretty cool thing going on here as well that we have uh, in the region I live. They mm-hmm. have like a state-sponsored uh, uh, program. Okay. Which are for... So they have... Because cross-country skiing is really big here in Fallen where I live as well. And they have mm-hmm. the Volca pair. And then biking is very big as well. So I'm on the biking side. So you apply for this thing to be part of this the group. Yeah. And then you pay a little bit, but then they will support you with the the a gym card for the big gym we have over here. Yeah. And that's where the I know we have like an indoor velodrome as well. Oh wow! That we use for the intervals in the yeah. winter, uh, indoor BMX track, uh, swimming hall, and like a lot of all the like big uh, uh, sports facilities around there we can use. Yeah. And then my coach is through that as well so he would he would set up all my training and we would have with this group we would have four training sessions per week yeah which are like combined but in like if i go to the gym to do my workout there would be 10 other people there Uh which is pretty cool for me because in the past i always been training by myself yeah yeah my other my normal friends have a normal nine-to-five job so like I always done stuff myself and now it feels like I'm part of a workplace because I, okay. I go there and do my stuff, but I have people to chat and like be social with, which is yeah, pretty yeah. cool. That is. Are these other kind of high level athletes then? Or Yeah, that's uh, the next thing. So I don't know if you know Oli and Ben from Australia. Oli, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So their mom is Swedish. So they mm-hmm. moved over here last year to be a part uh... of this. Yeah. So I pro I've basically been training with Ollie every single day the whole winter. Sweet. So it's been like really good to have uh, someone doing the doing the same thing. Yeah. And whenever I'm down or feeling a bit tired, like he would always drag me out and I would always so always something there to to push you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which means pretty cool. And yeah. you talked about so it's like like professional riders, I guess you could say. It's like me, Ollie Ben. And then Jenny Riesvets, the cross-country rider. Okay, yeah. And then Emil Johansson as well, the slopestyle guy. Awesome. So it's like pretty crazy gang. Yeah, that's a hell of a crew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is that the first winter that you've done that then with that group? I did that last uh, last winter as well. Okay. But then which it wasn't was all that. Of, yeah. Yeah, which, uh, but then uh, it's just evolving all the time too. Yeah bigger and better i guess and then with ollie and benny going here which are kind of doing the same riding as i do like our training crossover pretty good it was it was just a good match i guess yeah do you measure a lot from your training like i don't know power or whatever it happens to be and have you seen big improvements through training with that group or are you someone that just kind of relies on how it feels when you're out on the bike rather than taking the physical measurements uh i will use it but i i don't i would say it's not i wouldn't use the numbers that much but my coach would use them okay and i like i've been in the same place for quite a while now so i like all the gym stuff is for sure number based and then down so like we can go back next off season and see what i did then and 
where I'm at and stuff like that. But uh, then say like the the interval sessions we will do on the velodrome, like I kind of know which which people I should be with, like stack against. Okay. Yeah. And I and it's also like it's like those sessions is always going to be like there's no way I can get away easy because the people I like are some of the best cross country like riders in the world. So I just yeah. like if I can hang on there, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah definitely that's awesome yeah there's nowhere to hide when you're training with other top riders right no so that's a that's a cool balance of it because then they get the same benefit when we're doing like technique stuff yeah we show them stuff and then we so it's like a lot of transfer in between discipline which is like their whole the whole concept of it yeah which is very interesting yeah very cool so yeah you, you obviously starting the season in a good place then a little bit later than we initially planned i think but i think the ews made a smart move to yeah and kind of move the season back a little bit and it, it, it's gone well so far i started off with a double header in val de Fassa and I, I think you were fifth in race one and ninth in race two yeah are you happy with that it seems like a pretty good start to the season yeah oh no i was uh yeah like to that point that fifth place was my my best result so yeah it was pretty cool to get that start of the season, I guess. Yeah, definitely. What was and it like I, doing a, a double header? Because that was the the first one of that format, right? Yeah, um, I I thought it was. I mean, it's all uh, good and bad with it, but I think it it's a good concept for what they could like with all the circumstances. I think they they made it as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's for sure uh i think it's cool because you get away and you get to do a lot of racing in a short amount of time yeah but it's for sure also a lot going on because there's basically something every day of the week yeah and have they have they made the actual races like a little bit shorter and a bit less physically demanding in order that you can do two in a week uh yeah i would yeah it's definitely i think the total time was around 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's a bit shorter than what it usually is. But okay. like you said, with the double header, it's because uh, we have practice, like practice and stuff as well in between, right? So it's yeah. quite a lot of riding. Yeah, huge amount. So and I it- think, uh, yeah, I think it's it's a good concept for what it could do. Yeah, and were the tracks for the second race of the week much? different from the amount of riders that have been over them since the first time you raced them like how are they evolving uh, yeah so i think that's the only thing that it was a bit unclear because that i think uh, some of the riders thought that it was going to be four tracks for the first race and then four different tracks for the second race okay which would have been really cool but yeah. i also understand that it's uh, a hard thing to put on the race to organize that much yeah. and i don't know if they even have that many tracks there and all that stuff so so i think they did good with what they had but like you said there's because for the second race they also had the ews 80 and 100 mm-hmm. so that's like a few more hundred people to go down the tracks before we race it the next time yeah so either for sure was the same track but not the same track because it was so <laughs> <laughs> rough and uh, uh out yeah does it change your approach like do you are you looking for different lines because of that or do you just kind of have to 
ride what you remember and just deal with the deal with it being a lot rougher uh it's hard. i it, i guess it's a balance right if a few places where you know it's like really like the the outside ruts is just blown off the edge of the mountain it's not like you maybe you yeah. try to break down and go on the inside but uh it's also very hard to know what has changed so it's a lot of decision making in the moment because mm-hmm. you just need to i mean instead of thinking of lines maybe you just try to be a bit more focused on looking ahead so you can make good decisions when you come to certain sections yeah yeah would you change your bike setup at all for that second round if it's going to be rougher and you're going to be carrying a bit more fatigue will you soften the bike at all or i actually put on a little bit more of compression for the second race just because the holes were so so big okay so you wanted to keep the bike kind of up a bit yeah and uh but it, it's only one or two clicks like it's not much yeah so you want i i still think that for enduro it's you want to have the same feel on the bike always like even though it's not optimal for the track at least you don't have to spend any time getting used like, i mean every time you change something on the bike you have to get used like used to it and that yeah. can take all from one run to a few days who knows? So like, but if you know how the bike is going to feel, I reckon you ride better, even though the bike isn't perfectly for the track. Cause we ride so many different tracks that if you would make this a specific setup for every track, you would get lost in it, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the tracks are so different all the way down. If you're riding a 10 plus minute stage, like yeah. the bike, the bike that you need is going to change the whole way down and you just, yeah, it's physically impossible, I guess, to chase that perfect setup. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I feel that you could, because some of the racing we did down there was really like it was almost 30 degrees. Uh-huh. And then you also do a run with a thousand meters drop. So, like, the only thing that happens is the suspension get hot. Yeah, so, you yeah. might need to slow down the rebound just to compensate for when you're half down, halfway down the run. Okay. Cause the oil is getting thinner. Yeah. So, yeah. if you, if you start off a bit slower than you like, it actually, feels good when you're halfway through but if otherwise it's it gets so fast towards the bottom that it's pretty bouncy <laughs> yeah and that's just really, like it's, it's impossible to get away from because when it's that warm and you have a run that long it's the heat has to go somewhere right yeah yeah for sure interesting stuff so yeah not long then and you're on to the second round the or the, the third and fourth rounds i guess in latwil how are you feeling going in? You must have been feeling pretty confident, I guess, coming off the back of some good season opening results. Uh, yeah, it was actually a bit mixed. I was confident in my riding, but at the same time, I, I think uh, I just doubted myself a little bit as well because I, okay. the terrain there is very different from what I usually ride. Like, right. And there's not something I ride. I ride it when I, ra- when I race there and nothing else. So I was mm-hmm. just, I didn't know if I could ride that terrain fast, if that makes sense. Yeah, what's what's different about it? Just because it's so steep and technical or? Yeah, like it was a lot of tight corners and a lot of very steep sections, Mm -hmm. which is like a different, you're never working to go faster because you're always on the brakes. Okay, yeah, yeah. So so you see like the, the, it's not like you work in the terrain to carry more speed than the others, it's like you. The less you break, the faster you go. But okay. if you go yeah. too fast, there's there's no way you can get 
back to the speedy one because then you just yeah. hit the corner way too fast. Uh-huh. So it's like a different kind of balance. Yeah, you're managing speed instead of generating speed. Yeah. So with that, and then uh, uh, doubting myself a little bit and not really kind of, I, I don't knew what the pace was going to be on that terrain, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why my result got a bit not where I wanted to be for the first race. Yeah, so 28th, I think, from the first of the two races there. Yeah. What, and that's... What- do you think you were just holding back kind of too much on pace or it's, it's a, I mean, it's more of a, it turns into a mind game as well. Cause like you said, when you, like I had a fifth in the first race and then all of a sudden I see 28 is it's like, even on the results that day, I think maybe I was 20 on one stage or whatever. And you see that and you're like, I mean, some, some days you just, just doesn't feel it, I guess. Yeah. And I tried to get back into the, back into the the rhythm but what i when i analyze this afterwards i think i it's 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 complicated to say like to try to explain but i think i i thought i did my best and like was pushing but when i think back at it i i actually just did 90 90 95 percent okay and you it's convinced all small, yourself it's, that it's you all, were pushing I was just not comfortable in the situation I was in. Okay. And with the, it was like the same thing there. Some like saying, like sometimes you just stand there at the top and it, it starts pissing down and it was pretty cold and you're like, it hard to find motivation. Like it's not like I was fighting for a top spot anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just like hard to, hard to feel it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, like I said, it's, it's not a, even though I thought I gave it all, I didn't really. And it's just, it's when you look at the times for, especially in our category, like it's crazy how tight it is. So if I go, it's it's basically that if I go 90% instead of hundred, I end up 28 instead of fifth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because it's just, if I go to pedal out of a corner and I don't pedal as hard as I can, I lose a few hundreds there and then. And then I do that in, 30 corners and then it's just all of a sudden it adds up yeah and it's not like i've been riding slow but i just haven't put in that put in all the 100 percent everywhere yeah yeah so so when did you do that analysis was it after that that result after that 28th you sat and like hang on how did this happen and work your way through it yeah and so how how when you've got to that point where you're like okay i don't think i've I may have felt like I fully committed, but I don't think I did. How do you turn that around? Because you've only got like another day or so of rest and practice, and then you're back racing again. Admittedly, I think the weather was a little bit different, but how do you kind of reboot and get going again? Um, yeah, so I had that and like analyzed it, and I kind of found the best answer I could and that I believe was wrong. And, uh, from there, I just decided that, because also at that point, we were being on the road for three weeks as well. And for sure, for me, at least that plays a part as well. Like you're starting to miss home a little bit and a lot of, especially when it, when it feels like that thing doesn't go your way either. Yeah. So I just decided that 
I'm here now. I spent all the time. I've done so much work that for the next race, I'm just going to do everything I can. And even if I don't get the result I get, I'm still going to be happy because I, I'm going to look back and I know that I did all the preparations. I, I walked the part of the track that I wasn't sure about where to go. And like, as long as I make sure I do all the stuff that I know can, can make me faster for race day, I got to do it. Yeah. And then I just, whatever happened, I going to be, I can be happy with myself. Uh-huh. And, um, I also chatted with my coach and he basically just said that he, cause I felt like I was riding good, but I just didn't believe that I could ride that terrain good. And I just, he just said that I'm pretty, I'm a hundred percent sure that you ride all the stuff you don't think you ride good. You ride it way better than you think you do. Yeah. And I just looked a little bit on some stuff online from the tracks and like stopped a bit of practice and it's weird because when you stop and you whatever whatever example like some of the fastest guys come by like these some of these corners are so tricky and i'm not gonna say shitty but like they they're so tight and awkward that yeah no one's gonna look good around them yeah so yeah. if you don't go if you go around it and you don't feel 100 percent, it's okay because it's it's a very hard thing to do yeah, so seeing the other guys and girls making it look as hard as it feels to you kind of helped. Yeah, because then I felt like when I, if I did that, if I felt like I did that corner good, I knew I actually did it really good. Yeah, yeah. So I just did all that. And then we had that pro stage the day, the evening before the, the race mm-hmm. day. And yeah, with that mindset, just went off and all of a sudden came down. I was third on that stage and I was like, <laughs> yeah and that just boosted everything i was like okay fuck yeah i can do this yeah amazing and then yeah and then same next day i was for sure nervous because i found myself in a when you when they do the pro stage the top five men that's uh so the starter is the same but then the top five men they put it in that order in okay. the last yeah so yeah. all of a sudden i was standing there on the first day of the day and i looked behind it, it was only jack starting behind me and Richie <laughs> and it was just empty. And I was like, Hmm, this is a, a new, new place for me. Yeah. Uh, and there as well, I just same mindset. I just thought, well, I'm just going to give it all. And I done my preparations and whatever happens, I, at least I got this experience that I got to start almost last and see what is, because even that is something you need to get used to. Right. Yeah. If you haven't been there, there's a lot of new thoughts that pops up and, like even I can stand there, I can, I, and I get this moment and I like wonder if Jack is going to catch me, because you just start, you never been there, yeah. and it's like doubt that kicking in, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but then I, uh, it was actually quite, I don't know, lucky, but whatever happened because Eddie, Eddie Master was starting in front of me, and yeah. it, so this first stage was. It rained overnight, so the first bit was you can because you could see the first one and a half minute of the track, and you can okay. see it was like super slippery, and a lot of people were just like foot out drifting because it was like so hard to find grip. Yeah, and uh, that's the same. Like when you know it was actually a relief starting last because then not not everyone is standing on the side looking at you. <laughs> but like so, I was on my way dropping in. I was standing behind Eddie, and he dropped in, and he 
crashed out in the first quarter. Uh-huh. And he, like, it was not a hard crash, but he, his bars got turned 360. So like when he got up, he had to turn his bar and like fix the brakes. And it took a little bit of time. And I was just thinking to myself, I was like, if he, if he like for this race is ranked number four and he can make a crash in the first corner like that, if I crash out, it, like it doesn't matter either. Like it's okay. Like, yeah, I don't need to feel that pressure. I just going to ride my bike and, and do what I, I know I can. And from there I went off and I was third on the three next stages and second on the last stage. So awesome. Are we yeah. keeping an eye on the results throughout the day or were you kind of trying to stay away from them? Uh, it was actually a funny one. Cause I, I got down on the, from the first stage of the day and I, I like, I felt like it was a okay run. Yeah. Uh, but I always feel like it's tricky as well when you have like that, cause it was, it was dry, but it had rained overnight. So it was, it was slick, Yeah. but not super muddy. But it, when you have those conditions, it's hard to know what speed everyone is going. Cause it's very easy to push too hard and makes mistakes or you don't make any mistakes and it feels good, but you actually didn't make any mistakes cause you went too slow. Mm-hmm. So I came down from the stage and I took my phone up and I uh, reloaded to see the results. And I was like, looking, I was like, Ooh, third again. I was like, that's crazy. And then I like had to like look twice and I looked up and I saw that I hadn't pressed the right stage. That was the stage from the pro stage. Uh, okay. So I was like, Oh, so this is actually not the, the results. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> do I even want to see the result from there? I was like, Oh, and then I scrolled down. And I like pushed. And then I like, okay, I, I need to know where I'm, where I'm sitting. Yeah. I pushed and he popped up and I was third again. I was like, huh? Okay. Maybe, I, maybe I got this now. And I was like, so relieved, but I looked, so I looked at the, the whole day. I looked at the results, but I didn't look at, I didn't want to know the time. So I didn't want okay. to know the time difference between the guys in front or the, the guy in, okay. guys in back. Yeah. So you so just kept pushing. Yeah. But I, I was, it was pretty nerve wracking standing on the top of that last stage. Cause that was the longest stage of the day as well. Yeah. So I knew it was all still to play for. So I was like standing there and I was like, if I go, if I just, if I go safe now, I never gonna, uh, you never know, right? Like it's, you're never sure if it's ever going to have that chance again, even yeah. though I hope and think so, but yeah. I don't all I done really good on all the other stages so i should do really good on that stage and that was the same ending as the pro stage was the day before so mm-hmm. i felt very very comfortable on that um but uh, uh lost myself a little bit there yeah so the last stage and i knew that the same mindset again i was like if i give it my all and i crash i'm okay like i'm okay with that and okay I mentioned before, like I had this experience that I got to start third last of the fastest guys in the world. And that's pretty freaking amazing. Or I make it down. And I, if I do that, I'm pretty sure I will, I will secure this third place. Yeah. So I went down and it was like the, la- the last rock garden. I don't know. You probably saw some place from rock yeah, garden. Yeah. It was like people standing all over and like, got made it fine all the way down there and did rock garden did like the last few turns down there and i like saw the finish line i just like sprinted everything i had <laughs> and then i saw our photographer as well he was like lying on the ground on the finish line and i was like 
that's probably a good sign that he's like he hasn't waited too like too long it's i'm i'm where i should be in time yeah and then i got through and then the enrico the commentator said like coming in with the fastest time and i was like okay because i knew if i had the fastest time it was only richie and and jack left right yeah yeah so yeah that was pretty emotional and crazy yeah right that must there. have been such a buzz to to be in that environment and to get that feeling to know that you've you've done it yeah because you're feeling the pressure all day i guess after getting that third in the pro stage oh for sure but it's the same as well when you it's just the the ball start rolling right i did good on that first stage and you know you can do it and it's not like i i i when i i feel like i rode really freaking fast like i was scared a few times because i was just pushing so hard but i also yeah. i had two smaller crashes that day so it's not like it was a i like you feel i'm happy because i pushed and i had a few crashes but it, i i just rolled fast in between the mistakes basically okay so not, I, still not a perfect day no exactly so it's cool to see as well that if because then you get the feeling that if i have which is hard. If I had the perfect run, I'm actually, I could, I can be there for the win. Yeah. But it, it's easier said than done to have the perfect, <laughs> but, but everyone has mistakes, but I also realized that it, it's okay to have those mistakes as long as you do everything in be- between really good. Mm-hmm. If you get back up to speed quick and if, if you don't let the crash get on your mind, like, as soon as you realize you're on the ground, just like throw that crash away and just keep on like you're starting a new run, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I did, I did a little bit of maths. I think it was 1.2% faster that you'd have to go over the duration of the race to win. I mean, that's, it's mad, isn't it? How close <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's so insane how many, how tight everyone is now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's not it's definitely not like it was a few years ago when you can when you can win with like if you're even 30 seconds back now you're you're if quite a few places back yeah well down the order yeah and so third place incredible result you talked earlier about kind of getting results and then having a bit of a hollow feeling afterwards how how has this third worked for you do you have you been able to process it? Does it leave you feeling excited? Does it leave you with a bit of a gap? Does it change your expectations? I mean, for sure, it it changed your expectations. But the same as I think you, ju- I just need to get better at looking at. I know if I have a good day, I can be up there. But it's always, I mean, life generally is very more complicated than that right you can have something else happen in your life and that it, it's impossible that that is not going to affect your racing yeah but you need to you can't just look and not be happy you need to look if you did everything you could like what everything else that had that happened that day and that happened in your life the last few weeks mm-hmm. and then you can say if you're happy or not and happy or not shouldn't be that much with the result it should be more if you made the best out of it kind of thing yeah definitely which i think makes more sense and probably will it's a better way to get it to be a bit i guess a lot of people that 
compete at top, it's very easy to, the most pressure comes from yourself. Like it's easy to be hard on yourself. Um, so, and as well, like for sure, after I same been on the road for almost a month and you come back home and it's, uh, I just given myself some time to get back to, back to like routine and get all this, get life working again, basically like there's different stuff you need to like, I mean, need to make sure my mom, mom and dad is doing all right. And how my sister's doing paying the bills, like all the stuff that you do otherwise. Yeah. Cause then if I don't get all that in control, it's not like my training is going to be in control. So yeah, makes... it's all about structure, I guess. Yeah. Makes total sense. And you, we've got quite a long break now, I guess, because of the Olympics and everything in this summer. So I think there's no injury world series until September. Um, yeah, that's great. So how, yeah. How do you, how do you approach the, that gap from a, from a training perspective? Like, do you get, give yourself almost a mini off season or. Uh, uh, it's probably the opposite. Like I said, it's been a lot. So it's just very, for me, at least it's important to get everything else sorted and in place and then i can chuck on with my training again but uh, we see it more it's an opportunity to not just to not just keep the training we've done this winter but actually improve on it okay so i think that's because it's such a long break that we actually have time for that yeah you can make some gains yeah so at least that's our our game plan so we can find that 1.2 percent yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's only a tiny amount but Mm -hmm. you and you um you had your national champs pretty recently yeah yeah this uh yeah the last week yeah how was that oh that was uh it's all it's pretty fun to race on home home tracks isn't it and this is like the it's still one and a half hour from here but it's like the closest bike park i can i can get to and it's a small hill but it's like the most popular hill in sweden uh-huh. uh, and they did a really good event and they made two two new tracks just for the race nice. so they had five tracks in total and uh it was people standing from the top of the stage all the way down cheering wow so it was pretty cool and yeah. uh yeah for sure as well same a bit of, i just got home for one day after this three months long trip and got home repacked and then went straight up there and then we had the swedish champ so it's a bit stressful because you at least for me swedish champ is quite a big thing Uh because i since we had it in like three years ago was the first year where he's when it was official like if you won the swedish champ you got the swedish jersey yeah so i've been having the swedish jersey for three years now <laughs> and, this, and this was the fourth year so i was like yeah yeah i uh, i i mean i think it's really uh cool and i'm like proud when i race outside my country with the swedish and get to like have the swedish sleeve on the arm so i think yeah. that's that's pretty cool yeah and it worked out you took the win yeah and it seems like the riding was still good because i rode fast and i had two crashes <laughs> yeah was spotted the it, scar on your arm and still uh, still still got it so um uh, 
very happy at the moment. Excellent. Yeah, you're in a good place. It's been 2021 so far has been pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, you, you believe you can get there, but uh, it's always something else when you actually make it happen. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and that, I mean, we've had a couple of double headers. I think we've got one more, but the, the yeah. rest of the rounds this year are back to the, the more familiar format, the single round events. Does that change anything from like a preparation or a training perspective for you? Like, will you, will you change how you get ready for those events or is it, is it a similar process? I don't think so. It's pretty like the, if you just look at the physical side, I think that like the double header is like it's shorter, but it also double, right? So it's kind of the similar amount of of stress on your body and stuff like okay. that. The only yeah. thing changing, I I guess, when you have one big day, I I hope they put in a bit of longer days, like longer, so the race time gets longer. Because mm-hmm. uh, now it's been it's been good, but it's also because the race being a little bit shorter has also been very uh, not explosive, but like very fast pace on the stages because it's been shorter race time. So everyone is pushing probably more than they've done before. Cause it's okay. Yeah. Cause it's a shorter race. Yeah. Hence the super tight margins. Yeah. yeah. And I think with the longer days, you, you get that, uh, the, the aspect of the, the fatigue in as well. Yeah. Like a, a bit more than what we've been doing now. Cause racing for 35 minutes is, if you train for it, it's kind of the same as train, like when you have a race time up towards an hour, but it's, yeah. uh, it's also a different, same thing, but different. Yeah. Different physicality, a different challenge for the body. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting second half for the season. I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully continues in the same vein, but yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting towards the end of our time. We've got our final few questions that we've asked everybody. So yeah. we'll, we'll hit those up. The first one of those is if our listeners had 150 pounds, which is about 1800 Swedish Corona to improve their performance on a bike, uh, what would they go and spend it on? Hmm. That's a good question <laughs> to enhance the performance. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm going to give you two. One would for sure get like some kind of, uh, bike protector on the frame because i just like my stuff to stay shiny and uh-huh. nice looking so that's a pretty yeah. cheap investment you can do to keep the paint shiny for a bit longer clean bikes a fast bike exactly uh other than that i don't know do you probably some, a good a good tire with a good uh-huh. soft compound that actually sticks to the ground instead of drifting on top of the surface what's your go-to you're on maxis here yeah, yeah. Uh, my go-to right now is uh, Minion uh, uh, Minion front and the uh, DHR in the back. The two. Okay. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, uh, what casing? You're on the full downhill casing? Yeah. On my trail bike, I have the double down, and then on the enduro, I run double uh, the down casing just to be as safe as I can. Yeah. And do you use inserts or not? Um, we have, uh, I have been running the, the Kushkor in the back, uh-huh. but, uh, I also, 
up front i don't feel like i need it like our okay. ibis rims are very strong yeah and are you running the pro kushko in the back or the xc one i run the pro okay because our rims are pretty wide yeah so i think that's because we run the the wide tread tires and okay. then the rims so we have quite a bit of volume in the tires yeah so i guess that's affects the the ramp up on the air as well so yeah. i guess maybe that's why we get away with not not running one as well in the front but okay in the back i feel like it's it's a bigger always a bigger chance of denting denting a rim or something in the sure. back and if you have that in the back you can still you can roll down the trail pretty fast with it so it's more of a safety yeah safety thing yeah fair enough all right good stuff second question yeah. if you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16 what advice would you give him hmm Um, I guess if I look back, the only thing, but it's a little bit what I did as well, but I never, I thought I could, like my, my dream job was to be a, a professional mountain biker. Yeah. And it wasn't like I, it happened straight away for me. Like I had to grind on for a few years to make it happen, but yeah. I did that and it eventually happened like a bit later than most people, I would say. But uh, it just shows that if you if you really want it, it's and you put in the work for for a long time, it's almost bound to happen. I guess if you if you've done it with your full heart. Yeah. So just I guess give it give it time, and then the other thing would be to not be for sure. You always need a goal to reach towards, but then. I feel like a lot of things in life, it's very important to remember that the journey there is supposed to be something to remember as well. Isn't, and not just like staring straight at the goal and forget, like forget other stuff in life and, and the adventure to actually reach a goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's very, uh, very important for sure. I agree yeah. with you on that. If you could have a coaching session from anyone, past or present who would it be and what would you want to learn hmm that's a tricky one though there's so many <laughs> so many good good writers in different I'll ways let, and i'll let you have a couple if you want uh let's see if i can figure there's for sure more i would choose but i i reckon it would be pretty cool to to ride or get coached or talk to Greg Minar a bit more because he's yeah. just someone. I mean, he's for sure a good rider, but it's just very cool to see how he's that consistent for that long time. And yeah. I mean, he's been in for that long that the sport have actually changed in quite a few ways from when and equipment as well. But he's Huge. still adept and is still one of the fastest, which is pretty impressive to me. Yeah. And he also seems to have a pretty strong mental game. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, like in uh, the last World Cup in Le Chere, I think he was probably the one one of the fastest riders that actually did a really good job in the wet. Like he got Definitely. seven in the wet, which was yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah starting that far behind because not many 
all the guys are fast, but not many knew. I, I think that's like experience and all the stuff he knows. Like he knew how hard he could attack and probably what lines that would work in that in those crazy conditions, which is Definitely. someone not many people. People have raw speed, but to have that, to put that, pull that off right there and then is something not many people have, I guess. Definitely, yeah. Anyone else then? Is there anyone alongside Greg who you'd want to pick the brains? Um, There's too many, so I'm just going to stick with Greg then. (laughs) All right, it's a a good one. (laughs) All right, final question. What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? what I do every day I mean I I train every almost every day and that's pretty beneficial for what I what I want to do and where I want to get yeah uh, and that's probably uh, hmm I don't know well if I asked you the question what would you say I don't think I do anything consistently. That's the problem. <laughs> I do things for periods of time and they're great. And then I just somehow lose that thing. So I've tried all sorts of stuff for, for periods, but never stuck with anything that I really would say I do every day. Yeah. Every day is, that's a lot of days. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to say I stretched every day, but I don't. I should. Yeah, and that's the same with me. I, I think I'm, I'm good at stretching, but I'm not at, and I should do it every day, but I, I don't have the consistency to do it every day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I always, even though I not succeed or not, I always try to to wake up every day. And right now in life, I feel like the training is pretty important for my job and what I do in life. So I always try to give that 100%. I think that's, I'm pretty consistent with that at least. So yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, man. Well, it's been uh, it's been really interesting finding out more about you and hearing about your your journey so far. It sounds like you're in a in a really good place with a good crew of people to train with and uh, and a great mindset, and that seems to be coming through in the results. So I'm looking forward to seeing how you get on for the rest of this season and beyond. If people want to follow and see what you're up to, where's the best place for them to look? Uh, I guess Instagram is where that's probably the only channel I use. Okay. And what's your, what's your handle there? It's, I think it's the whole, uh, my whole name. So it's not only Zach, but Zacharias. Yeah. And then, uh, what do you even call it when you have the line? Um, underscore? It's, uh, yeah. Under, underline? Yeah. Yeah. Underscore. And, yeah. underscore and then Johansson, my last okay, name. Okay. Perfect. Well, we'll put yeah. a link in the show notes over on the website so people can find that. Perfect. But yeah. Thank, thanks a lot for your time, man. And, uh, have a good, uh, well, not a break, but have a good break from racing. Hope the training goes well. And uh, hope you find that 1.2% and we'll see how you get on later in the season. Thank you very much. And I will definitely do my best to catch up that one one and a half percent. (laughs) Awesome. Nice one. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much. All right. That's it for this episode with Zach. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show. Downtime listeners get 15% off We Are One rims for the month of August using the code WESUPPLY2021 over at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over at weareonecomposites.com. While you're there, you can also check out their incredible new bike, The Arrival.
There's just one more thing left for you to do, and that's to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and your email address to make sure you get a chance to get hold of the first issue of Downtime EP. We've got early bird deals going live really soon, so make sure you don't miss out. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can get your hands on our full range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All proceeds go to help improving the show. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, then there's a few ways you can help me out. First off, tell your rider mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going and bring in new episodes every week. Secondly, share the episodes on your social media. It's an awesome way to spread the word and it gets some buzz going around the episodes too. And then if you fancy it and you've got an extra bit of time, leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. I know it sounds like a strange request, but it really does help people find the show. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 